Coming Back is a listener-supported podcast. To support the show and get exclusive access to podcast swag, giveaways, private grief hangouts, and more, head on over to patreon.com slash shelbyforsythia. Support the show for as little as $1 per month and change or cancel your support at any time. Thank you so much for listening. Grief Growers, I am also setting sail on the 2019 Bereavement Cruise to join me and a boatload of other grieving hearts as we travel to Haiti, Jamaica, and Mexico. Go to www.comingbackcruise.com where you can sign up to receive more information on the cruise's sail dates, grief presenters, and onboard activities. I'll see you on the open seas. Hi there. And welcome to Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after loss. On today's show, I'm talking to Diane Spear, a yoga and mindfulness expert, Reiki practitioner, shamanic healer, and lifestyle consultant about the losses that woke her up to becoming comfortable in the surreal worlds of death, loss, and grief. Also on the show today, I'm inviting you to watch a new TV show about a young widow called Sorry for Your Loss, and you can join me live to discuss it week by week. I'm Shelby Forsythia, an intuitive grief guide who speaks, writes, and teaches powerful truths on grief and loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to equip others with the knowledge to heal and remind them that they are not alone. Because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Coming Back. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Before we get into the top of the show or the bigger news this week, uh, I want to let you know where you can find me in the next couple of weeks or so. Got a lot of cool events and happenings and things in the undercurrent going on. So last week in the episode, I announced that I'm working on a book called Permission to Grieve about how all of us have the power to give ourselves permission to have the experience of loss, which is pretty cool. The more I talk about it and see the expressions on people's faces and the more we talk about it within uh, what I'm getting ready to talk about, the private Facebook group, the more I realize that permission is something that we don't give ourselves enough in everyday life, but especially when we're grieving, which is why I'm getting chills as I'm saying this, which is why this book needs to be written now. So if you'd like to join my private Facebook group that's explicitly related to the book, this is not the Grief Growers Garden, this is another private Facebook group related to Permission to Grieve, and you'd like to receive a free copy of the book when it's released, check the show notes in this episode or hop onto Facebook and type in Permission to Grieve Launch team. You must answer three questions to enter the group, including providing your email address. And once you're in, you'll have access to group questions, polls, and discussions about exactly what it looks like to have permission to grieve or to give yourself permission to grieve. I know so many of you have already joined me in the group so far, so thank you so much for requesting to join, for providing an email address, for saying, yes, uh, I'm going to review the book when it comes out, and I would love to have a free copy too. I am so looking forward to seeing a hundred of you in this group by the end of September. That's the big goal. That's the big dream. And so I'm going to keep talking about it week after week. We're going to make it happen together, grief growers. 
Also this month, about a week and a half from this episode's air date, I'll be doing my live hour-long Google Hangout for top-tier Patreon supporters. So if you're supporting this podcast at the $33 per month or more level on Patreon, you get an hour of exclusive time with me every single month to ask questions and chat about grief and loss and the podcast and life in general. I am all yours for this time. September's event will be the last Monday in September, which is September 24th at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. You can, of course, pledge on Patreon and join us at any time by going to patreon.com slash Shelby for Scythia to join the live hangout. You have to pledge at the $33 a month or more level, and I would be so, so honored and so thrilled to see you there. Alrighty, so the meat of the top of the show today is that something really cool is incubating. It's about to be released in the world of grief entertainment, which I don't talk about very often, um, which is why I'm so excited to share the experience of it with you. So basically, the gist of it is this. Facebook is jumping into the world of streaming television. I'm not sure if you have Facebook on your phones or if you've seen it on your computers, but a lot of people you follow, maybe authors or maybe personalities or people with video channels and other places, have started to become seen on a platform on Facebook called Facebook Watch. And so it's like TV, but for free with some ads on Facebook. And next week, On Tuesday, September 18th at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time, Facebook Watch, which again is totally free minus the ads, is releasing the first four episodes of a TV show called Sorry for Your Loss. And this is this is just so cool. The show follows a young woman who is newly widowed through the first moments of her grief. I think it starts in the first three months of her grief and then beyond. And it really depicts how grief shows up and affects her life and then changes over time. And you get this incorporation of how it affects her sister's life and her mom's life and her other friends who also lost her spouse, this person that she lost. Now, To be honest, I don't really know what to expect from the show. We kind of have yet to see if it's going to be any good because I haven't actually seen the show yet. I've seen a couple trailers. I've seen some of the behind the scenes stuff. I've done some research though, and where I've seen articles uh, talk about it the most is in comparison to other loss centric shows. So if you like things like This Is Us, it sounds like this show is going to be right up your alley. And This Is Us is one of my favorite shows on TV for the episodes I have seen. So I, I guess this week, I'm just really impressed, guys, that Facebook is choosing to use its new Facebook Watch channel, not just as a platform for artists and authors and creators and all these other people who bring interesting things into the world, but for opening up these conversations, these larger conversations on what to say to people who are grieving. And as this larger depiction, you can't see me, but I'm kind of (laughs) waving my hands in the air right now over my head, this larger depiction of how grief really roots into and affects all areas of our lives. One article that I read said something along the lines of Facebook is where we find out about births and deaths. And there's a lot of um, maxims about loss and how things are affecting our lives that are published on Facebook. So what better platform to put a TV show about loss on than Facebook? So I'm sensing that this is going to be like bringing Sheryl Sandberg's book Option B to TV. And that's, it's, it's really pretty exciting. 
I'm even more excited because after each episode airs on Facebook, I have gloriously teamed up with the popular obituaries website Legacy.com to review and critique the show the morning after it airs. So I hope you'll join me weekly on Wednesdays at 10 o'clock central on Legacy.com's Facebook page where I'll be going live to talk about Sorry for Your Loss and discuss how true the week's episodes were to the very, very real experience of losing someone that you love. Of course, I'll be bringing in elements of my own experience in here, which is really pretty radical. I do that in all of our podcast episodes, but to be doing it in tandem with another organization as big as legacy.com is going to be very neat. Uh, I'll also be pulling research and critiques from outside sources. I'm a big article reader. I'll be drawing upon my student of grief knowledge, everything it took to build this podcast, the community, all the things I intuitively know having walked through grief myself. And of course, I'll be talking with all of you in the comments about what you thought of the show as it aired. So I would kind of like to make this, if at all possible, grief growers, I would love to make this like a like a watch party of sorts, where we're all watching it on Tuesday night, kind of on our own time and catching up as we can. And then... Um, a few hours later, I suppose about 14 hours later, I'll be going live about it at 10 a.m. the next day, Central Time on Wednesday, which will be September 19th, the first time, and uh, and having these larger discussions with, with other humans involved about what the show looked like and its impact and its implications and what it says, not only to grievers, but to the friends and the family of grievers. I'm laughing uh, doing this partnership with Legacy.com because it's been so long since I sat down and watched a full season of a television show that wasn't the Golden Girls. You know I talk about the Golden Girls all the time on this show and have even done a special episode. Episode 10 was all about grief on the Golden Girls. So I am just, I'm just enormously excited to see this new piece of grief work enter the world and see what conversations it inspires. And be the person to start some of those conversations myself. So again, if you'd like to join me for this upcoming Facebook Live series, all you have to do is like Legacy.com's page on Facebook. I know I'm talking a lot about Facebook and groups and joining and liking, so all you have to do for this is to like Legacy.com's Facebook page, and you'll get notified when the broadcast begins, just like if you were to like my page uh, and be notified when my broadcast begins, but I will be hosting on their Facebook page next week. I will also, though, be posting on my Facebook page and my Instagram page before I go live each week. So if you'd like to join me, there will be reminders, and that's something you can certainly, certainly do. Another just neat development in the world of grief, right, grief growers? So let's keep talking. Let's keep talking about how grief is or will be a part of everyone's life. Next up is my conversation with Diane Spear, a heck of a spiritual lady, if I do say so myself, and a self-proclaimed, now this is interesting, angel of death. Diane Spear is a pioneer in the fields of integrative health and mindfulness. She has more than 25 years of experience conducting health programming for medical centers, government agencies, nonprofit institutions, schools, businesses, and privately. Diane has served as an integrative health educator for several institutions of higher learning and for the military, including Rutgers University, Georgetown University, Northwest University, and hospices and funeral homes nationwide. 
On top of all that, she collaborates with healthcare researchers and other healthcare professionals on ways to evidence efficacy of integrative mind-body practices and implement a new holistic healthcare paradigm in communities. Diane works as a yoga therapist, mindfulness specialist, Reiki master, shamanic healer, intuitive counselor, grief support specialist, aromatherapist, and holistic lifestyle consultant. So she truly is a spiritual jack of all trades. She's developed a repertoire of transformative lifestyle programs that teach holistic, integrative lifestyle habits for wide-ranging specializations, including grief care, depression and anxiety, stress management, healthcare professionals, educators, corporate wellness, and chronic disease management. Her programs and teaching methods are integrative, holistic, compassionate, and effective at providing easy-to-use practical tools for a holistic lifestyle. She infuses her teaching with equal parts of discipline and fun while encouraging self-study and surrender. She challenges clients and practitioners at every level to come to life ready for discovery, open to possibilities, and with a sense that mindfulness in both body and spirit, anything is possible. Diane, thank you so much for joining us on Coming Back today. I'm so thrilled to share your story and your involvement with the Bereavement Cruise with everyone listening today. And we will start where we always start here on Coming Back. What is your lost story? Well, I started at a very young age, very unconsciously. Um, I must have been about nine years old. And an uncle of mine had lost his 18-year-old son to a very tragic automobile accident um, and had been decapitated. And we had the um, funeral mercy meal, is what we called it in the town where I grew up in, at our home. And this was a big Lebanese family. There must have been 30, 40, possibly even 50 people there. And I remember my Uncle Tony coming to me and asking me to play piano for him. I played classical piano. And so I sat down and started playing for him. And he proceeded to tell me the whole story of his experience of finding out about the accident, being informed, the sheriffs coming to their home in the middle of the night, and um, them having to go to the morgue and him having to identify his son in this condition. And he explained it to me in great, great detail. (laughs) And I would stop playing every so often because it was kind of shocking to a nine-year-old. And he would say, no, 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 you keep playing, you keep playing. And he just kept telling his story. And, you know, I remember going through that and not really thinking anything of it. It was almost surreal. Um, And... Then over the years, you know, aunts and uncles um, passing away, and I became terrified of going to wakes and funerals after that incident with my Uncle Tony. So I think even unconsciously as a young child, I was strongly impacted and honestly didn't have any tools to even begin to process or understand, much less integrate and, you know, know how to grieve much less how to support a grieving father of a deceased son. Um, and we were raised by my grandmother. And at the age of 14, this was the first very close to me loss. Um, she got diagnosed 
with a brain tumor and had a surgery that she didn't survive. And I remember, that's about ninth grade. I think it was my freshman year in high school. And um, I remember I was afraid to go to the hospital. Some part of me knew she wasn't going to survive the surgery. And so one night, um, she was in ICU, so you could go in those days, anytime, 24 hours a day. It's not quite like that anymore these days. And so I had been out with some friends, and I had them bring me over there, and I went in to see her. And, you know, she was on a respirator, and her rosary was over her bed, and she was lying there with her head all wrapped up. And I sat by her bedside talking to her, and... Um, as far as they told me that she was in kind of an induced coma, but um, you know, I kind of understood or had known from whatever resources that people can still hear. So I was talking to her, and I remember her patting my hand. And it was at that point that I knew, oh, wow, she's not coming home. And sometime later that night, we got the call that she passed. And um, even though we had a loving, large family, it was kind of a uh, philosophy of children weren't, didn't speak unless spoken to and were seen but not heard. So here, you know, our primary caretaker had passed. And of course, my father was completely devastated. And he had three teenage daughters <laughs> to finish raising. I was the eldest at 14. Um, but you know, I don't recall anybody ever talking to us about it or comforting us or asking us to need to, you know, dialogue on this or a, have no memory of, again, you know, going through this loss and the wake and the funeral and cemetery with just going through it, it surreal, unconsciously even, you know, without any real support or explanation as to what was going on or um, comfort and solace. And so from that point on, though, in my life, I call, I went into the dark night of the soul. <laughs> and I didn't realize it at the time, um, but I think I was so affected by that loss that it led me into downward spiral, mentally and emotionally, which manifested as... Um, inhibiting dysfunctional behavior patterns. I got through high school, didn't really participate much, missed more than I went somehow, um, managed to graduate, spent a lot of time indulging in unhealthy habits and partying and staying out late and you know, taking risks with behavior and so on. But I did manage to eventually graduate and um, went on to college and continued into my first or second year of university in similar behavior patterns. Um, but it was starting to manifest in health issues. I had a very severe case of psoriasis to the extent that all my hair almost fell out and had huge patches of it um, all over my body. So there was also a whole self-image thing going on. Um, the next big um, transitions came when I met my children's father and uh, knew I wanted to have children, so cleaned up my act. And it was around that time that I started to explore 
learning about mindfulness yoga and meditation. And that began my healing journey. Can you say more on that? Where I started to self-reflect and have tools and other uh, teachers and guides to help me with that self-reflection. It was the first time in my life. So I had never had the opportunity to grieve my grandmother, primary caretaker, um, to understand that experience with the Uncle Tony um, and was beginning to go into this process of self-reflection and healing about that time in my early 20s and um, got married and was pregnant with my first daughter and at the age of 29. And my mother had a massive heart attack. It was December of the year I was pregnant with her and didn't survive it. We buried her on Christmas Eve. And again, it was another, even though I had some tools and I was, you know, very excited and in my life fully, you know, married, had our home, we're having our first baby, all these wonderful things were happening. Um, it happened again with that same sense of surreal that I was in it, but it was really real to me. I was eight months pregnant when she died and because of all the stress of the three weeks from the heart attack to her death. I was having preterm labor, and my doctors wanted to put me in the hospital, <laughs> which I refused. Wow. Um, and of course, she did pass ultimately, and we went through all the funeral rites and graveyard rites. And I feel like I didn't really participate because I felt like I had to take care of my baby. Um, and so again, had no opportunity to really grieve and understand it and connect with it and be with it and process on it. Just had to keep rolling with, you know, the circumstances. And then of course I had my baby and I was in Nirvana. <laughs> yeah, my mother's death kind of went into the back burner and not really worked on. I say that I didn't really grieve her until two decades later, I have to be honest. Um, and I still do work on her as my mom and our life together and her death. Um, and so later on in that year, Linda, my sister, had become pregnant. And we were so excited. We were going to have our children. They were going to be around the same age. It was our first babies. And um, her first daughter, Aubrey, was born in early September. My daughter was born in early February of the same year, 1989. And Aubrey did not survive. And it was completely unexpected. Um, so that was within a year that we lost our mother and um, my sister lost her firstborn, our first niece. And of course I had my daughter who was just six months old. And I wanted to support my daughter, my sister as much as possible. So right away, I went running up there and you know, spent time with her, with my daughter with me. And of course, she was just, they were devastated, not understanding how this could have happened and trying to process. Um, I remember always feeling comfortable to talk to her about Aubrey. And I would say, oh, you know, I know it's hard that Rachel's here, but, you know, Aubrey would be a month old and Rachel would be seven months old. And, you know, I would talk to her about it. And she seemed to, you know, it was sad and hard to find some comfort in it. And I think that was one 
the, I would say, initiations into turning around and actually facing grief head on, face on, face to face. Um, for the first time in my life at 29 years old, at the death of my sister's firstborn baby. So that's a lot of loss. I'm just acknowledging that's a lot to have happen in the first 30 years of your life. I guess my next question is, uh, what came next? What came next for you in life and in grief? So over the years, I developed more and more involvement with um, mindfulness and yoga meditation, holistic lifestyle healing practices, and came into contact with many, many clients that um, I walked with through terminal illnesses and circumstances. Some survived, some didn't. And I became more and more awake and did more and more of my own personal work in healing. And... um, as I mentioned, did some programs with Linda over the years. She developed into a grief support counselor. You know her story. Um, and um, a lot of the work that I found myself and still find myself doing is um, assisting people in an energetic, spiritual way with transition, um, either bedside or distance um, through. Specific mindfulness, prayer, ritual, and ceremony practices and techniques and methods. And um, I became aware of this as part of, um, I came to know it as part of my service here on the planet. And so that, of course, threw me into, you know, studying death and all of these. Different traditions, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, indigenous cultures. And, you know, I started to educate myself because I was being called to people's bedsides or by clients and now family and friends at this point to be someone who was a support person and even assisted um, in this kind of transition and post transition, grief recovery and beyond. Um, and so from all that, um, I've developed programs based in mindfulness and earthwise medicine, you know, holistic healing, energy healing, intuitive, shamanic type healing um, for the care of the dying and in grief care post death. Um, and it's some of the most rewarding work I do. I work with many other populations, chronic disease management, pre-post-surgery, depression and anxiety. But I have to say that the um, end of life and the grief care is some of the most profound work that I've been called to do. And I feel very honored um, to be a part of a community that provides that kind of support to people. And so I make the joke, and I don't know if you're going to want to bleep that one out, but I'm kind of like a death angel. (laughs) (laughs) And in some of the traditional cultures, let's say, for instance, Celtic, the goddess um, Morrigan was the uh, archetypical angel or goddess of transitioning warriors off the battlefield across into the other side. I did a lot of study in the Buddhist traditions about um, their philosophy and techniques and methodology about getting through what they call the bardo, that 
period of time, four days from when the soul has separated from the body, where it's important what happens and what goes on around the person for them to be able to get through that confusing time and beyond into um, the creator's, you know, final destination. I don't know what the right terms would be for it, or nirvana heaven, or to merge completely with the universal mother, father, God, or God, or the great tree, you know, whatever the um, religious or um, social context doesn't matter. It's universal. Um, and so I found myself working with people that way, physically and in the subtle spiritual realm. I had a very dear friend um, who was also for a while a life partner, and uh, we did a lot of work together in the natural human arts and spirituality and um, deeply discussed many of these topics. And um, he suddenly, very suddenly, passed. And I found out about it at the last minute, that there was something going on, and I sensed it, but didn't reach out. And um, I received word on the night of his um, transition from a mutual friend. And of course, was upset and wondered, oh gosh, you know, I hadn't reconnected so I could have helped, and um, was upset, I have to say even with all the experience that I feel like at this point I've had and being very close to a lot of transitioning. Um, and I actually became sick. And for three days after the initial day of receiving word of his passing, got worse and worse and to a point where I couldn't even barely get out of bed. And so I just stayed there. And the symptoms were like a headache, a heaviness, kind of fluey, but not really kind of thing. And I've had other experiences like that that were more spiritually oriented than physical. Um, and so on the fourth day, and remember in the Buddhist tradition, the bardo is four days to get through it, to be in, to you know enter into nirvana or the soul will reincarnate is based on this particular philosophy's belief system. Um, and on the fourth day, the night before the fourth day, I had a vision and he was there with me. And um, in the vision, we were in this place that looked like a huge, you know, multi-era design architecture with rooms and huge lecture halls. And there were people in these lecture halls giving talks. And there were people playing music and doing art. And there were these huge, like, um, auditorium-like spaces and then smaller spaces and um, even small office spaces. And I was in one of the small rooms with um, my friend Brian was his name, and he was sitting up on almost like a, an examination table, and I was standing next to him, and he kept collapsing, and I would catch him in my arms. Oh God, this it was so powerful, and I kept giving him water, and you know, in the vision, this kept happening, and I remember thinking in the vision, oh my God, you know, I've got to find some place to lay him down. He's such a big guy; I'm not going to be able to hold him much longer if this keeps happening. And he would like faint, and I would kind of catch him in my arms and, and giving him water. And then I came out of the vision the next morning, completely alleviated of all my symptoms, and realized that I had indeed been with him in the spirit realm, in his transition through the bardo. Um, so these are the kinds of things that... Um, I've had his experiences, and I feel very blessed. And even 
recounting some of it, I become very mute and teary-eyed <laughs> in, um, yeah, in experiencing those sensations and feelings and great gifts, great gifts. I think this whole introductory story is very powerful because I see this long-term shift between this shock and this fear and this um, hesitancy towards grief and loss and being a container for other people's stories and their pain all the way to finding the tools and finding the resources that help you, for lack of better phrasing, like speak the same language as them and to be able to be receptive to it instead of afraid and fearful of it. The entire time you were telling your stories, um, I wrote down terrified of going to wakes and funerals, no tools to support. And now it's, it seems like it's, it's been a long-term 180, a flip to the other side of look at these tools, look at these stories, even these ancient myths that you have to use as a framework to be like, oh, I can place this here. And sickness makes sense to me and grief makes sense to me and death makes sense and not even making sense. But but there's this um, familiarity that I sense in you of, oh, I've been here before. Oh, I kind of know what to expect. Oh, this is what this means to me instead of, oh my gosh, I am afraid. I want nothing to do with this. You know, this is all hyper surreal. It sounds like you've become very comfortable in the world of the surreal. Yes, and I think that was, you know, part of the journey that I was given in steps and stages to help open me up to be able to stand in presence and hold space for the end of life and transition journey. Um, and I am actually very comfortable with it. Uh, even had clients ask me to give their funerals, and in fact, I have two coming up as a chance would have it this next month that I've been called to come and do ceremony for two very close uh, soul family people who have passed. And you know, I've been told by the other people that I have been at those events at that, you know, it's such a calming feeling, energy, comforting. Um, I, you know, have the, been given the gift of clarity of knowing that this is one of the gifts that I've been given to be able to walk on the planet with in service to others. And my whole life has been that. I, you know, grief work became more prevalent in the last 10 years, maybe. But before that, you know, I'd also been working in natural healing arts and in healing and all those other ways, as I mentioned before, um, energy healing, yoga meditation, mindfulness, holistic lifestyle. So, um, I uh, I feel honored, and I, it keeps informing me. I myself had um, three near-death um, experiences throughout my life. The first one I don't remember. I was a child, about two years old, my dad tells me. We were at the beach in Asbury Park in New Jersey, and um, he had me by the hand in the waves, and one of the waves took me away. And he had to swim out and find me and pull me out. Now, I don't remember any of that, but he said I was sputtering and, you know, he had to help me get breathing again and things like that. The second time, I was about 13, 14. Um, my parents were divorced and my mom lived in New Jersey, so as chance would have it, Shelby, I once again was at Asbury Park 
in New Jersey. And I went in the water. And uh, I remember it was really rough. And um, I remember a wave came and took me. And I remember it took me out. And I must have gotten caught in the waves in the undertow. So the last thing I remember is being slammed into the bottom in the sand you know, brushing roughly against my face and shoulders and arms. And then the next thing I remember is uh, I apparently I've been pulled out by a lifeguard lying on the beach. <laughs> the crowd of people standing around me and my mother screaming and yelling, you know, hysterical, upset, obviously. And my first impression was that I was so embarrassed. I wasn't even conscious of what really happened or anything like that. Again, it was one of those surreal experiences, but I remember I got up and I went running into the bathhouse and um, went into the shower because I was so embarrassed. That's the first feeling I recall having come back from that experience. And uh, all the sand was in every orifice to an extent that it was unbelievable. And then the third time was actually a illness that came on me very suddenly um, that ended up getting... Uh, we brought to an emergency with what appeared to be a, a cardiac incident. And so I was in a hospital for 36 hours and, you know, um, they were doing all these tests and whatnot. And somehow they got me stabilized and whatnot. And none of the tests showed anything physical that could have been the cause, except that I was so dehydrated from um, being sick, purging. That my organs were starting to shut down. But I remember going through that before going to the emergency room, um, lying in my bed and thinking, well, I'm going to die. You know, I'm just going to say my prayers and, you know, help myself to smoothly transition because I'd already been doing some work in transition and had done a lot of the study. And it was very painful. I remember the pain. Um, and that's the cells kind of, you know, dying is what I was told long afterwards. Um, but anyway, uh, after the hospital room visits, um, I couldn't even eat for about three or four weeks. That's, you know, how severe the whole thing had been. And I don't even think I started working until the following spring. Now, this happened on All Souls Night, Halloween Eve, which is another inter interesting quote-unquote coincidence. Um, so... I have a lot of conscious memory of that experience, and I felt comfortable and at ease that if it was my time, and I was, you know, saying certain prayers and mantras in Eastern traditions that are known to help with transition. And I remember my cat sitting there with me the whole time, and uh, I did come back from that um, eventually. It was another one of those epiphanic moments in life that I think. Um, opened me up to even further work and um, catalyzed me further in my own healing journey and physical, mental, emotional, spiritual development and um, abilities, let's put it that way. And so I have a lot of intuitive, empathic um, capacities since then that got very much enhanced and major life change decisions that came about after that. Um, and so those three experiences, I think, also have something to do with it, like having, I guess, I don't know, crossed over or had that near-death experience that I came to understand that there's still a lot of work to do here. <laughs> um, but they were also kind of initiations. In a sense. 
you know, in metaphysical healing arts, it's kind of how an event like that is categorized as. I'm curious, this question is just now coming to me because I've recorded several podcast interviews today. They're going to be published at different times during this season, but it seems like maybe it's just something in the water today, but it seems like there's a connection between grief as an unlocking to spirituality and becoming more in tune with a life's purpose or a a higher force that's present for us on the planet. I know that was something that was true for me. I'm doing a lot of writing at the moment as to my mom's death being a gateway to my getting in touch with my own intuition. And I'm wondering Mm -hmm. um, what your take on that is and maybe why you think that is. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, And I feel that way and know that way from having gone through it and being able to reflect back over from when I was nine years old until now, how all these incidences were incidences that I can clearly understand were catalytic in expanding me in my growth and healing and spiritual journey. There's not a doubt in any part of me um, on that. And I've also witnessed it in other people's journeys as well, friends, family, and clients that I've worked with. Um, that you know, significant loss becomes this um, cathartic event that cracks us open in every way possible, as you know, and is painful and difficult. And all those things are a part of it, a necessary part of it. And at the same time, a seed of growth and healing and expansion, that's an incredible gift. I feel so blessed, even though it is sad and hard and watching people suffer and you know, and everybody has their own way of grieving and their own vocabulary and their own tools that, you know, have to be brought to fore or learned if they have none. Um, So I I feel through direct experience and witnessing that to be a very, very true circumstance, pretty much 100%. I love that. And it seemed to be uh, resonating through a theme of today. So I've, I've just enjoyed bringing that up. I sense that in, in your voice and your story, that that's been really powerful for you. I want to switch now to the workshop that you're going to be leading on the bereavement cruise, kind of what it's called and what you'll be guiding people through on board as well. Yes. Um, we've titled it uh, self-care. Um, and I think one of the things that we are not taught in life in any um, way, through our family, friends, formal education, professional education, unless we go into caretaker-type fields, uh, how to self-care, and much less how to self-care for the grief journey, the end-of-life and grief journey, is such a sacred, beautiful, beautiful, part of life. It's as beautiful and sacred as birth, as giving birth, as getting married. And um, I love the idea of bringing that sacredness back to it and 
sharing tools to people who that can you they can use to help support them in this journey. So um, we'll be doing some discussion, some sharing, uh, be giving mindfulness, gentle, easy yoga tation practices, uh, be giving some energy medicine practices that are wonderful, energy healing. And it's in a format that can be brought into daily life in a very, very easy way. Now, the body, mind, spirit in the Eastern philosophies of this kind of work, there, there is no, it's all one, there's no separation. And so working with the body, working with the breath, working with mindfulness can bring healing and change and soothing to the body, mind, spirit system and help people to hold and walk with their grief in ways that can make it a little more comfortable for them, hopefully, to give them some sense of self-efficacy and self-empowerment, of self-control, of dignity, um, and be able to hold those two things simultaneously with ease and maintain um, internal health and balance and harmony and integration. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, foundationally, a lot of what I do is energetic or shamanic um, healing. And so because that is a task and um, duty that I walk with, there will also be a very powerful, energetic, subtle healing going on in addition to um, you know, the obvious physical, mental, intellectual processing and uh, tools and methods and techniques. So it'll be a very, very powerful, powerful uh, circle that we'll come into. And it might, you know, include doing some aromatherapy or Reiki or energy healing. You know, Reiki is a word that people connect to and understand and feel comfortable with. So it'll be a combination of all that. And I think one of the nights that I'll be doing a circle of hope as well. And Linda and I were discussing, you know, what we would like for that. It'd be just a more intimate circle, exploring um, kind of organically, intuitively, you know, how to apply this kind of um, mindfulness, holistic, natural, earthwise, intuitive, self-care um, types of activities and processes into That sounds like a sweet package. And I think that everything that's coming together, that's being knit together for the bereavement cruise is going to be really powerful. We're kind of, we're going to be hitting grief from a lot of different angles and maybe hitting is not the right word. Maybe, um, coding it or examining it or, uh, holding it through a lot of different lenses. Yeah. I, yeah. That's really exciting. Uh, well, Diane, where can people find your work, both your ushering your angel of deathing into <laughs> transition work, uh, end of life, things of that nature, but also yoga practices, a website, anything else that you'd like to share this afternoon? Well, I can be found on Facebook and Instagram. And I uh, am unshy about sharing uh, my direct telephone and email contact. 
I don't carry a website anymore. I'm in the process of downgrading digital technology involvement. And um, honestly, uh, my I've come to understand that what I do works best in person, one-on-one or in groups. And so um, I can be reached through those two social mediums, Facebook and Instagram, uh, Diane Spear. I think Instagram is Diane Spear Yoga. Um, and you could feel free to share uh, my direct phone number and my email um, because I love direct personal contact. Is simply Diane Spear Yoga at Gmail. And of course, through the Breathe Me Cruise, <laughs> I can be reached through that uh, avenue as well. That's so lovely. I thank you so much for your time today and just that you are a shining example of of grief in the long term, how our attitude towards death and towards loss can change. And even what we believe to be true about ourselves and our abilities in the world. I think that's just, that's coming through really strong for me now. I'm so excited to have shared space with you today. So thank you. Thank you. I look forward to meeting and sharing all the uh, work and joy on the cruise in March as well. And thank you for everything you're doing for the cruise. Truly. It's uh, spectacular and I know um, being beneficial to getting the word out there and getting more and more people involved so thank you so much also for your work and sharing your journey so that's all for this episode of coming back thank you so so much to Diane Spear for coming on the show this week and getting really really spiritual about grief and loss Fun fact of the week, uh, Diane is Linda Finley's sister, and Linda appeared on last week's episode of Coming Back. I am so just embracing the idea of having these two sisters alongside me on the 2019 Bereavement Cruise. You can find Diane's email address where she prefers to be reached in the show notes. Join me in my private Facebook group called Permission to Grieve Launch Team to receive a free copy of my upcoming book and provide your insight and wisdom to this big and valuable project. Go on over to Legacy.com's Facebook page and give it a like to be notified when my live broadcast of the day after Sorry for Your Loss premieres on September 19th at 10 o'clock a.m. Central Time. Come sail with me and so many fellow grief growers on the 2019 Bereavement Cruise by requesting more information at comingbackcruise.com. If this show has changed the way you see grief and loss, go to patreon.com slash Shelby for Scythia, where you can pledge for as little as $1 per month and get some very cool podcast rewards for doing so. Thank you ever, ever, ever so much to Kathy and a user who'd like to be identified as Rambled for pledging this week. You two are the absolute best. If you liked what you heard today, you can also support the show by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and by telling a friend about coming back, because you never know what someone you love is going through. Thank you to Mr. Addie Goldstein, who composed our theme music. You can find me on Facebook at Shelby for Scythia Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at Grief Guide Shelby for Scythia, or simply shelbyforsythia.com. As always, my dear grief growers, it was beautiful sharing this space and time with you today. I see you. I am proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world. And I love you. Because even through grief, we are growing.